Grasping his concubine, he cut her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. I feel a sense of dread come over me, as if I'm marching to my death. I open my Bible, nervously, slowly, turning page after page until I come across this text. My pulse quickens, my eyes dart from side to side, and my breath halts and then begins again. This story is layered in such a way as if we are drawn deeper and deeper into a macabre nightmare. Each successive word adds another layer of terror to this unnamed woman's story. There is no escape from this surreal landscape. I am confused, horrified, and grasping for hope where none exists. I wonder who is bringing me here? Why I need to experience this dreadful story and where will it lead me? Everything seems out of place. This passage makes no sense in context to the ones preceding it. It grabs me from out of nowhere, locking me inside a nightmare and then scattering me across the pages into an unfamiliar, incongruent world. I bounce back between my world and her world, seeing parallels across time to the horrors that fall upon those whom God ignores. This story ch changes my perception of reality and my feeling that everything will be all right. If anything, the unnamed woman teaches me that not all stories can be redeemed and the world may never be all right. How odd to hear me say something like this so close to Easter. Didn't we just celebrate the victory of Jesus over death? Didn't we just witness the epic battle between the forces of good and evil played out through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Yes, we did. I'm drawn to this text, I know now, because of this Easter story. We just witnessed through the Easter story, the important realities of betrayal, abandonment, and death, as evidenced by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But what we, the universal we, have ignored is how human tragedy, as represented by the unnamed woman, have played out well before the Easter story, throughout time, and into the present day. If my faith, the church universal, is to be a radically inclusive place where the broken can be redeemed, where all can experience God's welcoming love, then we must acknowledge what we've done wrong in the past, repent, and reimagine a sacred space that affirms all God's children. Otherwise, her story is doomed to be repeated time after time. The promise Easter symbolizes is broken unless we understand what the unnamed woman is trying to tell us. The unnamed woman whispers to me from beyond the grave, read my story again. I read the story again. And this time I'm looking for a way to redeem it using rigorous exegetical scholarship. Maybe I can find a loophole yet uncovered by the scholastic community. What I do find, however, is that the mostly male scholastic community fails her in just as many ways as the Levite did. They rationalize her status as a concubine, as being a sign of the times, justify her secretary status through legal mumbo-jumbo, or just right ign ign outright ignore her rape and murder by focusing on the bigger picture. I don't even know what that means. She is unimportant to them, I conclude, and so is her rape and murder. It isn't until I read feminist Old Testament scholars that I see the story for what it is. It is a nightmare and it can't be redeemed through exegetical analysis.
read my story again. She implores me. I then try to find another method to redeem this passage by pointing to the hope and promise of the New Testament. Her story belongs into the realm of the Hebrew Bible and things like this don't happen in the New Testament. She points me to the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, Mary, mother of God, Mary Magdalene, the female disciples of Christ, and how all are ignored by conservative and liberal male church leaders alike. No, her story can't be redeemed using the New Testament as a corrective lens. I close my Bible and think about how horrors like this do not happen in the modern world. Then the unnamed woman directs me to the news cycle where I see Asian women being shot and killed in Atlanta and abused and assaulted all over the country. She points me to the articles highlighting the murder of transgendered women and how they go unsolved. She reminds me of the women's gymnastics team who were sexually abused for years despite their cries for help. History, she teaches me, is replete with stories about how women's bodies are hypersexualized, commodified, exploited, and then killed because they are a threat to male anxiety. They had to die in order for a man to live. And just like with the unnamed woman, history closes the book on them. I realize now that I'm a participant in this cruelty. I myself have shut the book on the unnamed woman as well as others who share her pain. I was the guilty bystander who watched a crowd abuse her and did not respond. I ignore the role of, the old, of women in the Old and New Testament and their contributions to our faith. I've seen and heard the sufferings of women in my era that failed to listen or fight constructively for change. I now ask myself, who else have I ignored? There's only one logical conclusion to this, I think to myself. I have failed to redeem her. I failed to redeem her using exegesis, my faith, or cultural analysis. The unnamed woman admonishes me. That's not the only conclusion, she said. I ask her to show me, to teach me. She holds my hand and leads me back to the text. Read me again. She speaks softly to me. This time I let her guide me back to the text and I read it again. I am confused, but I am sitting with my confusion. And then it dawns on me, this text isn't about what me or anyone else can do for her. It isn't even about me at all. She wants her story told. She wants to be heard. She's not looking for me to save her or redeem her story. Every man in her short life has betrayed her all while proclaiming to be her savior and also the savior of their audience. She wants the story to be told and heard in all its pain and raw vulnerability. So I'll share her story, not as a redeemer or savior, but as an ally in her cause, and she will be my guide. Listen again. The man sees his concubine and put her out to them. They wantonly raped and abused her all through the night and into the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. As morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where the master was until it was light. In the morning, her master got up, opened the door of the house, and when he went out to go on his way, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. Get up, he snarls at her. We're going. But there wasn't any answer. Then he put her on the donkey and the man set out for his home. When he had entered his house, he took out a knife 
and cut his concubine into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. As I read this story, again, I find myself spiraling into a biblical vortex, linking the comfortable confines of my office, my church, and plunged into this passage as if it's happening in real time. I am thrust out of the house by the same door that is the barrier between her world of perpetual servitude and secondary status, and another one of sadistic frenzied rape and terror. The unnamed woman stands next to me as we watch the terror unfold before our eyes. I realize that she is teaching me something important and revolutionary. She is teaching me that I'm a bystander to the horrible suffering in this world, and my reactions to this text are reflective of my passivity to what is happening in the present day. She takes my hand, she rescues me from this nightmare, and brings me back to the real world. What did you learn? She asked me. I mentioned earlier how some stories can't be redeemed. That's true. Sometimes there's no happily forever after. But she is teaching us and me that our story, that our understanding of this story can be reformulated and our world can be healed if we listen to her. Her cries of pain must be unleashed from the biblical chains that bind her. Her pain is the pain of all those who suffer abuse. To hear her pain is to hear their pain. It is through her, through her that we learn to listen with compassion to those who have lived through similar terrors, to understand the roots of their trauma, to understand the background of their pain and to act justly to fix it. Her story can't be redeemed, but we can try to use her voice to heal a very broken world. I've learned, I tell her, that you can't shut the book and ignore the violence and horror done by people of faith who passively accept it and distance themselves from those broken by the religion, society, and culture. Just as the unknown woman lies at the doorstep with her hands on the threshold of freedom before she dies, we too have a choice of closing the Bible on her and going about our lives hoping with a twinge of paternal regret that things like this won't happen again. We can try to ignore the harsh truths of her life and hope that no one speaks about this text or the horrors of the world. But the unnamed woman refuses to go away, to be ignored and to die. She compels us to read her stories as allies. And when this happens, the door that once separated her from death and despair is burst open by the power of her voice. She will not be ignored again. As her story is read, the unnamed woman erupts from her biblical prison and gathers up all those whom God has ignored. We, as we hear her stories, their story, her body, which was once strewn across the tribes of Israel, becomes whole and shines brightly at the dawn of a new day. She carries with her the voice of those orphaned by their religion, their families, their people. She hears their voice, feels their pain, and carries them with her to a sacred place. She soars above and beyond time and space and holds us in her ever-expanding arms as she marches us to a new day in a more beautiful world. She is no longer the unnamed woman sitting at the threshold of death and life. She is the mother of all who felt life's bitter sting. She is Miriam, Deborah, Sarah, and Hagar. She is a Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, all the women at the well. She is Mary, mother of God, Mary Magdalene, the female disciples of Christ. She is all women of faith ignored and suppressed by their traditions. She calls out their name, gathers them in her arms, and they march with her. She is the mother of women bent but not broken. She is the black woman sold on the auction block and now fighting for equality. She is, the, she is the undocumented immigrant, exposed but unafraid. She is the widow in Auschwitz, 
bringing hope to a hopeless place. She is a mother leaving her homeland to find a safe place to raise her children. She is a sister who puts her family through college, works all day, and goes to school at night. She is the daughter who cares for her ailing and aging parents and her homeland. She is the mother of the six Asian women killed in Atlanta, Zhao Ji Tan, Dai Yu Fang, Sun Shang Park, Hyun Grant, Sun Shao Kim, Yung Ayu. She calls out their names, gathers them in her arms, and they march with her. She is the trailblazing woman. She is the woman who refuses to give up her seat on the bus and the one marching for the right to vote. She is Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Rosa Parks, and Stacey Abrams, and countless women who fought for human rights and equal representation. She calls to them and their sisters, gathers them in her arms, and they march with her. She is the lesbian championing marriage equality, gender equality, and human rights. She is the transgendered woman coming into her being. She is Audre Lorde, Stormy DeLivray, Del Martin, Phyllis Leone, Rita Mae Brown, Sylvia Rivera, and Marsha P. Johnson. She is the voice of the 44 nameless transgendered women fatally shot and killed in the U.S. in 2020. She knows their pain, calls out their name, gathers them in her arms, and they march with her. She is a young woman challenging conventional thinking, gender wage gaps, and revolutionizing sports. She is Amanda Gorman, Greta Thunberg, Serena Krishnan, the U.S. women's soccer and gymnastics team. She calls them by their name, gathers them up in her arms, and they march with her. She is the frightened daughter, the abused wife, the lonely sister, the dying grandma. She hears their prayers, gathers them in. She hears their prayers, calls out their name, gathers them in her arms, and they march with her. She is the gay man broken on a barbed wire fence, the black man killed jogging through a white neighborhood, a Jewish man murdered at a Pittsburgh synagogue, and the Muslim man shot in Houston on his way to a mosque. She is Matthew Shepard, Ahmed Arbery, Jerry Rabinowitz, and Arslan Tajimul. She calls out their name, gathers them in her arms, and they march with her. She is the mother to the motherless, the broken, the desperate, those lying on the outskirts of society, and those who all want to be an ally in her cause, no matter what their religion, gender identity, socioeconomic status, age, ability, or ethnic and racial background. She is the ally to the cause, the guilty bystander who wants to change and joins the movement, and those no longer afraid to speak their truth. She is all of you, she is me. She is everyone who wants to join in her campaign. She calls out our names, gathers us in her arms, and we march with her. Her story is now our story. Her people are our people. Her voice is our voice. Silent for so many years, she will be silent no more. She gathers us up, teaches us self-love and compassion, restores our humanity, marches us to the synagogues, churches, mosques, temples, all places of worship, corridors of injustice, and institutions of power. She stares up at her holy and sacred symbols, points an accusatory finger at those who maintain them, and with a quiet intensity that shakes the four corners of the earth, says only this, me too. <laughs>